It's an absolute joy to see you today on the Lord's Day and Resurrection Sunday. And we're getting resurrected as a church today. How are you all today? Hallelujah. What a Savior. Good to know him. And wow, the issues that were resolved when the Lord Jesus came out of that tomb on that first resurrection morning. Wow. Wow. And what a Savior. Delighted to see all of you. You have a copy of the scriptures this morning. Take them and turn to the Gospel of Luke, if you would, and get the chapter 24, the last chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Wonderful message in song. Thank you, Dr. and Mrs. Kelly and Matthew at the piano. Amazing love. And uh, no one's ever loved you. No one's ever loved any of us like God has loved us by the giving of the gift of His Son to us. You don't know me and I don't know you, but it is an absolute joy to be here with you. And uh, if uh, you have been longing to come back to church, I can only imagine what this day seems like for you to be back corporately. I have often said you can watch online and you can do a live stream and you can have a sense of being a part of a church service and you can sing along with the, uh, those leading you in songs, but there is nothing like being in the room and corporately joining your heart and your voice together and praising and worshiping your God together. And I hope that this has been a wonderful day for you already. And we're honored to be here. My wife Lynn and I enjoyed being with the, the men and ladies and the teenagers yesterday and uh, then on Friday night, if you were watching, we had the Good Friday service live streamed. I'm thankful for Pastor Ennis's invitation to us to allow us to come. Our hearts have been prepared, so let's get right into the, right into the scriptures this morning. I love this chapter. I wish I could tell you everything that's on my heart, but for sake of time, I'm going to do what I can to express to you what this scriptures is giving to us here today as we continue on remembering and worshiping our risen Savior. If you'll follow me beginning in verse 1, notice what the Bible tells us. It says, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. They entered in and found not, notice the word, not, the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. And returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and other women that were with them which told these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed to them as as idle tales, and they believed them not. Then arose Peter and ran into the sepulcher. And stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves, 
and departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. Friends, that's seven miles. They had to walk seven miles back to their home. Verse 14. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. It came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communication are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art, art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. And how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came, saying, that they had also seen a vision of angels which had said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and, and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things? And to enter into his glory. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh into the village, whither they went. And he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in and tarried with them. It came to pass as he sat at meat with them and he took bread and he blessed it and he brake and gave it to them and their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight and they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures and they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. I don't know if you've ever gotten involved with studying your family lineage and your your heritage and gone through a family tree. I've personally not done so. Other members of our family have done some study. I think it must be a fascinating study of research to, to look at all the various uh, uh, lineage of people that have come before us. But they tell us that whenever you study it, there's always a, 
some holes and some, some uh, uh, illogical results of, of names and trying to get things tied together to try to figure out your historical past. And somewhere along the way, in trying to solve all that, you, you find that those people will find themselves certainly in a library researching their family name. But somewhere along the way, they'll go to a cemetery and they'll study cemetery records and take a walk through an old graveyard looking for a gravestone that may have their family name on there. And as they begin to try to put the pieces together to get some answers of their family heritage, of course, in many cases, they're trying to find out, was there somebody famous in our family? Was there a king? Was there a wealthy person who maybe left some for me? And, uh, and is, there, is there somebody in my family line? And usually they find out, no. Sure, well, there are a lot of criminals, though. And... Uh, bunch of scallywags and somebody hanging from a tree and they find out things you didn't want to find out about those people. But there is one graveyard that answers all the questions a person will ever have. And I'm, not, I'm not talking about the questions about your family inheritance and your family uh, lineage, but it answers all those big questions of life that you've probably had somewhere along the way in your life. Most everybody has that question. What's life really all about? Why am I here? What's going to happen to me when I die? The big questions. What is my life a part of? Is there something about my life that really matters? There is a graveyard. There is a tomb that answers those questions. And here's the cool thing, man. Here's the wonderful thing. Here's the wild thing. That grave, it's empty. There are religions that have had their leaders, and I say religions, they've had their leaders and people have trekked to their various locations where their bodies have been entombed or their cremated uh, remains have been buried, whether it was Buddha uh, buried in India somewhere, his cremated remains or or maybe, uh, maybe Muhammad, who was buried in Saudi Arabia, and people have uh, traversed there to see his remains or to see where he's buried. Joseph Smith, founder of Mormonism, buried somewhere in Illinois, of all places, and they've gone to see that. And there have been people who've gone to see not a religion, but the tomb where you can have a relationship with Almighty God, the tomb of Jesus Christ, and they always find the same result. It's empty. On that first wonderful Easter Sunday morning, the single most significant event in the history of mankind took place in that garden tomb. Can I repeat that? The single most significant event in the history of mankind took place in that garden grave. No event has changed more lives. No event has changed eternities. No event has changed as many lives as are sitting in this room today, including the one you're listening to. Jesus is alive. He is alive forevermore. And though it was dark, coming, it was not quite dark, but it was turning dusk, as the two people we read about here in Luke 24 were making their journey from Jerusalem 
to their home village of Emmaus. As we said, about a distance of about seven miles. They were sad. Have you not ever been to a funeral of a loved one? Have you not ever looked down in the face in a, in a casket of someone that you held dear in your heart and, and you, you had fond memories, you, you, you had wonderful remembrances of conversations and events and things that were said and done with that individual, but there's always a sense of sadness. These two were walking on that road of Emmaus. Now, come on, man, put yourself in their sandals. They were sad. They were discouraged. They were distressed. They were, they were troubled. They didn't understand what was going on. You see, look, look. They had been there a week earlier when Jesus rode that donkey colt into the city of Jerusalem to the thunderous roar of the people who were shouting, Hosanna, salvation has come. And they, like so many others, felt like Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman Empire and set up his own kingdom. And they assumed that things were going to really change soon. But they were also there, those two, they were also there when they heard the crowd begin to change their cry from Hosanna to crucifying. Yeah, crucifying. He's guilty of uh, insurrection. They saw Jesus after he'd been whipped by the trained hand of a Roman soldier 20 times. 30 times, 40 times, who knows how many times that whip went around his body. So much so that the Bible tells us he no longer looked like a human being. They saw him. And they saw him crucified. They watched him as he suffered violently. They saw him suffer for oxygen and breath. They watched him as he suffered for thirst And their hearts, their hearts, they were broken. The one they had put all their hopes upon, the one they'd put their dreams of a bright future upon, was dying, and they heard him. They heard him when he said, with a loud voice, by the way, it is finished, indicating that he still had strength. And then his final phrase, my father, into your hands I commit my spirit, dropped his head and took his last breath. They saw him. They knew he had died. They had seen him willingly give himself. Yeah, their hearts were broken. And so they're talking about it, making their way home. We're only given the name of one, Cleopas, and there's another one there. Two followers of the Lord. And then all of a sudden, as was often the case when people traveled on these roads, came along a stranger, another person. They didn't know who he was because their eyes somehow or another were veiled from recognizing this was Jesus walking with. And he said to them, why are you so sad? What is so depressing you? You, you two men are, are you two folks are, are truly troubled about something. What's wrong? And they said, sir, where have you been? Haven't you heard what's going on and what's gone on in Jerusalem? He said, what things? Tell me. And they said, well, Jesus of Nazareth, you've heard of him, haven't you? Our religious leaders 
our Sanhedrin led him to Rome and their authority and had, had him crucified. And we thought for certain he was going to be the one. that was, He was the sent one from God above. We know he was. But we, we can't understand why he was crucified. He's been buried. But you know something, stranger? We had some women friends that came to us in a gathering we had earlier today. And they told us that they went to his tomb early this morning and, and, and a vision of angels came to him and, and said to him, why are you here? He's alive. Why seek ye the living among the dead? And we don't understand that. People don't come up from the grave. We don't understand. And then all of a sudden the stranger said, well, didn't you hear? Moses talked about this. The prophets spoke about this. You talk about a seminary class. You talk about a, a class in a few uh, miles down the road. I wish I had a recording of it and heard everything he said. As he took them through the Old Testament scriptures and explained to them, this was exactly what God's word said would have to happen. The Messiah, the sent one, the son of God had to suffer. He had to be crucified and rise from the dead. You see, their hearts had been broken, but now all of a sudden their hearts were receiving a boost of some fresh energy. And as they continued on, they came to some kind of a fork in the road. And this stranger was saying, well, gentlemen or folks, I'll see you later. And he was made as if he was going to go on a different direction. And they said, no, 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 no. You must come to our home. We want to hear more of this. And you, it's, it's getting on to where it's going to be dark soon. You need to come in and have a meal. So we went with them. They prepared a meal and he sat down with them. And somehow or another, when Jesus blessed the giving of the food, the bread. He held it in his hands and he broke it. There must have been some unique way in which Jesus broke bread. Their eyes were open. And whether or not they took their eyes off of him and looked at each other or they were afraid to look away, I don't know. When all of a sudden, Jesus was gone from their sight, he vanished. And they said, did not our hearts burn within us. When he just talked to us and opened up the scriptures to us, they had started out with a heart broke, brokenness. <clears throat> they received a heart boosting, but now they're saying, our hearts have burned within us. And so what did they do? They just jumped right back on that same highway, that same road, and went back seven miles. Would you be willing to travel 14 miles by foot today? But there was a fresh new energy. These two, they rushed back. I can see them halfway jogging and quick walking, doing everything they could to get back to Jerusalem to say one thing. He is alive. He is alive. Jesus made an announcement from that grave that day. Jesus made an announcement on that first Easter Sunday. He made an announcement. Death has been conquered. Sin has been conquered. And Jesus is exactly who he said he is. He's God. And Jesus conquered death. And he made this announcement for each one here in this room and anyone watching by live stream this morning. Don't miss these truths. He was saying this. Redemption, number one, redemption is available. 
Now, the word redemption is a word you hear preachers talk about. Oh, occasionally you may hear somebody talk about it and put it in some kind of a scenario in the sports world and talk about uh, maybe somebody uh, won back a victory of one sort or another and they, they, they made redemption for a previous loss. Let me tell you something. The word redemption, can I give you another word? It's the idea of being rescued. It, it's the idea of being set free. It's the idea of being delivered. And Jesus, when he conquered death and came out of that tomb by his own power, he was expressing an announcement that redemption is now available. Are you listening? To all. Notice, if you would, please, in verse 46 of our passage, I have not read these words yet. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission, that is forgiveness of sins, should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. What did Jesus say? He said, yes, I was crucified and I rose from the dead and now this message must go forth that redemption, forgiveness of sins are available. Redemption is available to all men, let it be known. Why is that so? Because the truth is, my friends, don't miss this. Jesus, Jesus was the only one who could pay for your sins and mine. I call it like this. He was the worthy one. By that, I mean he was the only one of worth that could pay for our sins. You can't pay for your sins. Would you be reasonable with me this morning? Be reasonable in your heart. Be reasonable in your mind. If there were several ways to have a relationship with God, if there were several ways to know that every bit of your sinful behavior and thinking and life could be forgiven and you could be on your way to heaven, if there were several ways to get there, such as being a real good person, maybe being baptized when you were a little baby, maybe by taking a, a wafer in your mouth on, a, on some kind of a basis at some particular church, or maybe, maybe by, by giving to good causes, by being a moral individual. If there were several ways to get to God, don't you think that God would say, I'm not going to let my son die? Find one of those other ways to get to me. Do something, uh, do, do one of those other things to get to me. Are you reasonable with your thoughts this morning? My friends, there are, no, there are not several ways to get to God. There's only one way. Jesus Christ is the one only way. He was the worthy one, the only one. But not only was he the worthy one, he was the wealthy one. Oh, you say, wealthy with money? No, listen to the Bible. In Ephesians 1 and verse 7, it says, In whom we have redemption, there's our word, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, listen to this, according to the riches of his grace. He was the worthy one. He was the wealthy one, and I've already said this. He was the willing one. The Bible tells us in the book of Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus did not leave heaven kicking and screaming. He, he didn't consider it to be something that he was forced into. He left heaven, and he took upon himself the form of a servant and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He was willing. Why? Because of the song we just heard a few moments ago, Amazing Love. 
No mother has loved you as much as God loves you. No friend has loved you as much as God loves you. No spouse loves you like God loves you. My friends, Jesus was willing to die for you. Why? Because you're worthy? Oh, far from it. He did not die for you. He did not die for me because we're worthy. We became worthy because he died for us. Can I remind everybody in this room today? Everybody, hear me, put your name there. Everybody needs to be redeemed. Everybody needs to be spiritually rescued. Everyone. That's hard for somebody in this room who's been a humanitarian. That's hard for somebody in this room who's been a moral, decent American citizen. It's hard for you if you've been faithful to your husband or to your wife. It's hard for you to accept it when you look at your life, you say, aren't I good enough on my own? No, my friend, you can't get to God on your own. There's no way. You can't pay your way to God. No way. That's hard for you if you've been, are you ready? A religious person. Maybe you've attended church all your life. Maybe you've gone on special occasions. Let me think of one, uh, Easter. You've gone to church maybe at the Christmas season and you've, you've thought about things. And maybe you've got a, a big family Bible sitting on a, on a coffee table in your house or maybe some sacred pictures in your home. And it's hard for you to think that you've got to do something else to know that your sins are washed away and you're on your way to heaven. You say, Mr. Preacher, I know Jesus died. I know about this. I understand what Easter is all about. I have, a, I have an understanding that that's all happened, my friends. It's one thing to have an understanding about it. It's another thing to say, I accept him and what he did for me on Calvary's cross and when he came out of that tomb. I accept him into my life because I cannot save myself. Everybody needs to be rescued spiritually. And can I tell you, Everybody can be rescued. The Bible says, for the grace of God in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 53 and verse 6, for the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Everybody can be redeemed. Listen to me. Come up close to your Bible and hear me. Someone sitting in this room says, Morris, you don't know the wickedness of my heart. That's what I'm trying to tell you this morning. You don't know the power of his resurrection and his crucifixion for you. And the extreme measureless value of his grace offered to you. You don't know what I've done. You're not thinking about what he's done for you. Oh, you say, well, I'm, I'm not that bad. I like what one preacher said. He said, you're not so good that you don't need to be saved. And you're not so bad that you can't be saved. Everybody needs to be rescued. Everybody can be rescued. And everybody gets rescued the same way. I've already said it. There are not several ways to God. There's only one way. Jesus himself said, I am the way. Jesus didn't say, I'm one of the ways to get to heaven. No man comes to the Father but by me. He said, I am the way. I had, I had a conversation with a teenage boy years ago, 16 years of age, fine young man. 
He'd grown up in a religious home. He'd been around church services of a sort. And he said, I just don't understand why you keep saying that a, a person has to accept Jesus into their life. I don't get that. And I said, well, how, how are you going to get to God in heaven? How, how, are you gonna, how are you going to have any kind of relationship with God and know that your sins are removed? He said, look, he said, that's why the Ten Commandments were given to us. I'm doing my best to, to live by the Ten Commandments. And I said, all right. I said, that's, that's, a, that's, that's a help. I said, let me talk to you about those Ten Commandments. And I began to go through them. I won't give you the full conversation. But I said, the Bible says in the Ten Commandments, uh, uh, thou shalt not steal. I said, have you ever taken anything that didn't belong to you? I said, you ever taken a a look on somebody else's school paper and gotten an answer? You ever taken something off your dad's uh, dresser that didn't belong to you? Have you ever taken something from somebody? Ever stolen anything in a store? He said, well, I don't make a habit of that. But he said, I guess everybody has. And I said, okay, so you're a thief. I said, have you ever told, the Bible says, thou shalt have no, bear no false witness, which means lying. I said, have you ever told something that's not true, any kind of a lie? I said, be careful how you answer. <laughs> you don't want to add to the list. And he said, well, of course I've lied. Hasn't everybody? I said, that's a good point. That's true. I said, so you're a liar as well as me. I said, uh, the Bible says, uh, thou shalt have no other gods before God. And that word God is the idea of a a little g. Any other idol in your life? I said, have you ever loved anything or anybody or any cause or anything more than you've loved God in heaven? You ever loved anybody, anything else? He said, well, you know, I can't say that I've been perfect about loving God. That's true. I said, okay, then you're an idolater. He says, thou shalt have, uh, thou shalt not commit adultery. And I said, now look, I said, Jesus said... If a man looks upon a woman to lust after her, he hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. I said, so have you ever committed adultery? He dropped his head. I said, I think I see your answer. I called him by name. I said, do you want me to continue through the list? He said, please don't. I said, son, you're in trouble, aren't you? He said, yeah. I said, I know the feeling. I know what it is to be a sinner and recognize my sinfulness. I said, I still am. But there came a day when I recognized my sins that had separated me from God had all been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ and by the power of his resurrection. And I accepted him into his life. I said, that's what I'm trying to tell you. You can't work your way to God. You need to be rescued by Jesus and him alone by accepting him into your life. He looked at me, and if I ever saw a light go on in a kid's head, he started leaning toward me, and he said, Oh, oh, I see. I get it. I said, Do you? He said, Yes. I said, You want Jesus? He said, Of course. He bowed his life and his heart and his head that day, and he asked Jesus Christ to save him. And rescue him. Have you done that? My friend watching online, have you done that? When Jesus rose from the dead, he announced redemption is available. Secondly, he announced Christian. He said this, revival is obtainable. (laughs) Revival. No, we throw that word around. But what does it mean? I think you know what the word revival means. I, I, like, I like to use some other words to describe it. A resurgence, a reawakening, 
a re-energizing, a, a re, uh, uh, reviving. Revival for a child of God is obtainable. Why? Because the tomb is empty. You say, what are you talking about? For sake of time, can I, can I just remind you what these two people did? When they recognized Jesus is alive, what did they do? They shot right back to Jerusalem seven miles with brand new energy. And they said, did not our hearts thrive and burn within us? Why? Because he's alive. I get a little concerned about people who've gone to church for years and years and years and they sit in a church service singing, Oh, how I love Jesus. We have heard the joyful sound. Jesus said, the tomb is empty. Revival is obtainable. A resurgence of fresh energy. Easter is not the announcement of spring. Easter is not the time to just go buy new clothes. Help yourself if you want to. Easter is not a religious holiday to make you feel spiritual. Easter is the announcement, child of God, that there ought to be a fresh new energy to go tell others he is alive. There ought to be a fresh renewal in your walk with God. There ought to be a fresh renewal in your intimate prayer life. I told the teenagers yesterday and even spoke to the men yesterday morning about when as a teenager in my own life, God did a, 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 a deep work in my life to where I couldn't get enough. I couldn't get enough of the Lord. You know what was happening to me? I was experiencing a personal renewal, a personal revival. No, I didn't get saved again, but God re-energized me. I found myself listening to guys on the radio that I, I didn't even know were on the radio before. I turned the dial off the radio to, to other channels, and I heard some guy by the name of Oliver B. Green just a preaching away. And as he would preach, uh, and he'd go off the air, and some guy by the name of J. Vernon McGee came on after that, and he'd preach. And I was just feasting on it. When those two guys went off the air, the third guy, I really liked him. He was a Texas boy. His name was Lester Roloff. And when these guys would preach, they'd say at the end of their message, if you'd like to have a complete copy of today's message, send us, I don't know, $2, $3, $5 to this address, and we'll send you a cassette. Young people, Google that later on. You'll know what it is. We'll send you a cassette of today's sermon. And I couldn't get that money in the mail fast enough. And I had stacks and stacks of sermon tapes. Why? Because I had, I had, I had a fresh new reviving that's going on in my life. Friends, I'm not asking you to copy somebody else's personality, but is your Christian life in need of a resurgence? Well, be reminded on Easter morning that when Jesus came out of that tomb, he was saying, children of God, let your heart burn within you when you have the scriptures opened up to you. And as I talk to you along the way of life, and let me close, not only is redemption available and revival is obtainable, but rejoicing is inevitable. These people were not walking around with glum faces. These people were looking around saying, he's alive. He is alive. And there was a sense of, of nervousness, if you please. And there was a sense of joy. Matthew 28, 8, which uh, our brother read earlier in the service, uh, he read about those women. It says, and they departed quickly from the tomb. Listen to this. With great joy. And they did run to bring his disciples' word. These followers never lost the enthusiasm that he was alive.
You know, they were even threatened, and almost every one of the men were martyred for what they believed. You know something? You don't allow yourself to die for something that's not true. I mean, you'll say, oh, no, okay, if you're going to take my life, let me just, okay, I've been, I've been making this up for years. No, no, no. They were saying, burn me at the stake, throw me out to wild animals, kill me, but it's true, and I'll praise his name till I see him in glory. Rejoicing is inevitable. Maybe your home needs some fresh rejoicing. Maybe where you work They need to see somebody who walks in with a fresh rejoicing step to their life. Maybe your spouse, your children, your grandkids, the people you go to school with, maybe they need to see what's gotten into you. I can tell you what's gotten into me. (laughs) Jesus has gotten into me. He's alive. And I'm rejoicing in him. A young man attended a church service where I preached. In Rhode Island, New England, you can't get there from here, but I mean, it's on the other side of our country. He went home after that service. His mother, who had not attended the service, said to him, son, how did that, how did that meeting go tonight that you went to up there at that church that you got invited to? He said, mom, I heard something I've never heard before in my life. She said, you did. What'd you hear? He said, mom, I heard that the wages of sin is death. And he, he said, Mom, that means the paycheck of what I'm going to really receive from my, my sin, all, all the sin in my life, it's separation from God. And she said, well, why is that such good news? Well, he said, you don't, you, you don't have the full story yet. He said, I heard tonight that, that what I'm going to receive from my sin is, is death in hell, but I don't have to go. I don't have to pay for my sin because God has a gift for me. The gift of God, he said, I heard tonight is eternal life through Jesus Christ. He said, Mom, I asked Jesus to come into my life tonight. He said, it's the greatest thing I ever heard in my life. I never met that teenage boy. I never did meet him. You say, well, how do you know this story? (laughs) Because the next day, his mother called the church, got one of the pastors on the phone, and she said, my son came home and something was different about him. And he kept saying that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. She said, is there somebody there that can tell me what you told my boy last night? And on the phone, that pastor led the mother to Jesus Christ. He's alive. And that empty tomb is saying he is still changing lives. Would you bow your head with me, please, for prayer? With heads bowed, eyes closed, is there someone here this morning watching online or sitting in this room You've heard of Jesus. You've heard of the purpose behind Easter. But you have to admit this morning, you've only got some head knowledge about him. You haven't personally accepted him into your life. And you're going to say, you know, Morris, 
I don't want this just to be a religious service for me. I don't want this to be just something that I can hear you folks talk about. I want to know personally what it means to have this resurrected redeemer, this rescuer in my life. Well, friend, I hope you are thinking that because he died for you. He rose again for you. It's a personal rescue work he wants to do. And you can receive him right there where you sit. Right there in the quietness of your own heart, you can receive Jesus into your life right now. Right now. Oh, you say, preacher man, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to receive him. I'll I'll try to help you. There's nothing magical in my words. There's nothing mystical in my words. But it's based upon the truth and the promise of scriptures that for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. Right there where you sit, whether you're watching online or sitting in this room, would you pray something along this line and pray it from your heart? You put it in your own words that you can take my, I'll give you some phrases, but put it from your own heart to the Lord. Pray this and mean it right now. Ready? Just pray this. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I need to be saved. Jesus, you died for me. And you rose again for me. Right now, I accept you into my life. Save me, Jesus. Save me right now. I pray this with my whole heart. Did you just pray that prayer, friend? Did you just now? I hope you did. 